Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The Jazz Loft Radio Series is funded in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. In the New York of the 1950s and 60s, what urban activist Jane Jacobs called the ballet of the good city sidewalk was in ample evidence. In the era of the beat poets and the action painters and the jazz loft, art and commerce co-mingled on the streets in mostly non-residential neighborhoods up and down Manhattan, including the strip along 6th Avenue in the 20s, known as the Wholesale Flower District. There stood 821 6th Avenue, a haven for musicians and other artists in an industrial building which originally had not an amenity in sight. There was no heat. The floors were very rough boards. It was cold water, and I don't even think there was electricity. David Rothman whose father had a busy frame-making shop in the neighborhood, came over as a kid and got friendly with the painter, David Young. Young was the one who brought the building to life. He figured out a way to get like uh, things working, get some crude heat in there and some uh, electric lights going, and maybe ultimately a hot water heater. The Jazz Loft building shared with others. Bassist Steve Swallow and pianist Paul Blay lived right down the block in similarly bare-bones lofts and Swallow remembers borrowing what little electricity he could get. We'd run an extension cord over the roof of the building between us and down into my loft, and I'd be able to run a hot plate and lights. We were a happy family, (laughs) an extremely happy family. Once things got going at the jazz loft, it was just the best hangout in town, especially for working musicians just finishing all revved up in the middle of the night. Gigs would last till 4 o'clock in the morning. Vibraphone player Teddy Charles, who was a regular at the loft in the late 50s and early 60s. Then you'd go someplace to play. So that that was a common thing, and that was one of the places where you could play all night long. Nobody ever cared if you played. That was the great advantage of the loft. Go downstairs, and it was all flower merchants, all up and down the street on both sides. There were more than 60 wholesale florists back in those days. Harry Mitchell Vlachos had a wholesale flower shop in the neighborhood, which he took over from his father, who'd opened the shop in the mid-1920s. They were bumper to bumper through this area, halfway down into 28th Street on the other side, and about this far up on this side between 6th and Broadway. And the business started very early in the morning in preparation for the retail trucks that would come in to pick up their flower orders and then take them back to their retail shops. David Rothman. So until about noon, it was very, very busy and bustling. There was a lot of double parking, I remember. Flower dealer Bill Nicholas. Occasionally triple parking. People would be pushing push carts back and forth from one shop to another. And you would hear the normal yelling, negotiating would be the word of price. Flower (laughs) dealer Victor Rellis. Which could get quite fierce sometimes. Hey, uh, Frankie. Can you send me over some daffodils and I'll just make up, you know, you'll put it on my tab or whatever. Back then, it smelled like flowers. In those days, carnations smelled. They smelled like peppermint. Today, nobody knows that a carnation even has a smell. And you saw flowers on the streets and in the stores and the hustle and bustle. This area was alive. For Eugene Smith, the flower district became more than just the neighborhood surrounding the jazz loft. For him, it was another obsession in a new direction. Smith stopped even doing socially concerned work and was 
taking photographs of the flower district outside of his window. Photographer and musician John Cohen. The photographs were very romantic and beautiful. I think they were quite different from what was happening in the art world, but they were his art. It was a statement of how personal he could be without any subject or uh, documentary event shaping his work. For Smith, who'd been the master of the narrative photo essay, it was a huge departure. He photographed the streets at every time of day and night, in every weather. I remember him photographing from the window continuously almost. The late photographer Harold Feinstein worked as Smith's assistant, first traveling to the loft every day and later living there himself. Busy, busy, busy. A hundred businesses going on. The streets were always filled with trucks delivering stuff. For the musicians on the one hand and the flower dealers on the other, there was a delicious coincidence of timing there in the neighborhood. The flower shops bustled for a while. Then after midday, the flower dealers and the furriers a few blocks north turned to other amusements. A lot of the old-timers used to have card games in the afternoon. They just didn't go home. And there was a lot of gambling around here also. A lot of gambling. Flower dealer Sam Rosenberg. There was craft games every afternoon in the different wholesalers and uh, bookmakers galore in this neighborhood. It was a cheap area. I guess they got cheap rents. They were able to get large lofts. And um, that's what an artist needs. And as day ended, as the card tables were folded and the flower district cleared out, the night took over, and jazz musicians, who had the luxury of keeping jazz musicians' hours, played until dawn. If you'd be around this neighborhood late at night, you'd hear all the jazz music from the different buildings. Get a regular, uh, not a symphony, but a regular show. And these people were really good. In the quiet of the night, Rosenberg was often an audience of one, standing in the street. Yeah, the music, the music was great. Upstairs, David Rothman, then about 12 years old, might be visiting the loft, sometimes sleeping on the couch there, with special permission from his dad down the street. In the middle of the night, he might drift for a while. You know when you're kind of like in that just waking up state and you f- things aren't really clear, maybe you think you're dreaming? Well, I do remember hearing like the banging of like some crescendo of drumming. Musical instruments, sort of like tuning up, and some voices and mutterings, and they would just start to play. You know, I'd be listening, and I think, you know, I would fall asleep, and maybe wake up, fall asleep. Rothman figured out later he'd been listening to the likes of Dave McKenna, Art Farmer, 
Bob Brookmeyer, Jim Hall, Sonny Clark, Thelonious Monk, Zoot Sims, Teddy Charles, just a few of the dozens of musicians who hung out and jammed there at the loft. They'd stumble out just after dawn as the flower trucks pulled up as usual with the day's deliveries and the neighborhood began to bustle again. It was just a glorious thing to come out into the fresh morning air and the smell of millions and millions of flowers everywhere and the sight of them being unloaded from trucks and then to go, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder with the guys who worked in that industry and eat breakfast and then we'd go to bed. They'd sleep all day and at five or six in the evening everything changed again and the musicians woke up and began their lives. In the years when both the Flower District and the Jazz Loft were at their busiest, that's just how it went. Changing shifts and mutual appreciation. This is the Jazz Loft radio series. In the next episode, Monk at Town Hall. Thelonious Monk and Hall Overton make some jazz history at 821 Sixth Avenue, preparing for a famous concert. I mean, we get to Town Hall to do the concert. And it was magic time. That band played so well that night. We played the heck out of that music, you know? That's coming up in Episode 8. Thanks to Sam Stevenson and to the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke. For WNYC's Jazz Loft Radio Series, I'm Sarah Fishko. series was funded in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts.